Good Sunday morning, everyone. For those of you, perhaps, who haven't been tuning in or with us uh, this particular weekend for uh, the youth rally, uh, I'm not sick. Just wanted to make sure you knew that I'm not sick. My voice is a little off, not 100%, so we're thankful for uh, a microphone and amplification that can assist the communication and delivery of uh, today's message. Someone once said, there are three things that last forever. God, his word, and the souls of people. To the extent that you're involved in these three things, you are investing in eternity. I'm going to say it again. There are three things that last forever. God, his word, and the souls of people. To the extent that you're involved in these three things, you are investing in eternity. I want to say a word about revival. Wasn't planning on this. And uh, I don't want you to be afraid. Revival is not a bad thing, by the way. And, and revival uh, consists of really two big concepts that we see in God's word. The concept of zealous repentance and a zealous commitment to love and good deeds. And what would be wrong if that happened here? What would be wrong if uh, a bit of a revival was birthed this particular Sunday morning uh, and afternoon? I'm not going to the afternoon, don't worry. <laughs> but what a wonderful thing if that were to occur. And so I want to just encourage you, uh, young and old and all in between, uh, to take a good look at your mind and heart and ask and answer the question, is there anything that, that you need to look at, see, and own, and zealously repent? Zealously repent. And if you hadn't made a decision already in your walks to say, you know what, I want to know and follow hard after Christ, what would be wrong with you making a decision to be committed to zealously pursuing love and good deeds? I'd like to do something, and I'd like the elders here at Bethany Bible Chapel to assist me, maybe just two or three of you, but I want to just simply say and ask that those who are investing in youth ministry in particular, and, and we don't need to be real tight with that uh, definition, but let's think of the rally perhaps uh, to help us qualify it. If you're investing in junior high kids or high school kids, if you're involved in the the leadership of your youth group. I'm, not, I'm gonna ask you to stand, but I'm not gonna ask you to stand so we can clap for you. Uh, we, would, we, we are big fans, I, hear, I want you to know that. And so clap internally if you want to. But if you're, <laughs> if you're involved in youth ministry, here's what I wanna ask that you, you would do. And I know some of you don't wanna do this, but get over it. I, I wanna just ask that you would, that you would just please stand. Just stand quietly. We believe you can do that. 
If you're involved in, in youth ministry, if you're a youth leader, would you just please unashamedly stand? That's all I'm asking. Stand. It won't hurt you. Please stand up if you're involved in youth ministry in any capacity. And this is what I want, this is what I want to ask maybe just two or three of the elders here at Bethany. Would you just pray for these folks? Would you pray, not all our leaders are here, but pray for these folks as they have made a commitment to invest in eternity. Do you hear me? To invest in eternity. There are three things that last forever. God, his word, and the souls of people. To the extent that you're involved in these three things, you're involved in investing in eternity. And our young people desperately need you to invest in them. And so we want to say thank you. I don't even mind if we clap right now to say thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for investing. So with just two elders, let's just say two elders from Bethany, just bring it loud and proud. Pray for these folks. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10. I'm going to do a little bit of a review. We're going to do Momos at the end. Don't worry. Don't think I've forgotten. Um, but a little bit of review for those of you who have not been with us. Uh, I want to share with you what we've been talking about. And then we're going to land the plane in Romans chapter 6. We're going to finish that section together before lunch, uh, I assure you. One life to live. One life to live. We're not talking about a soap opera. Some of you remember. Thank you. One life to live, we're more talking about uh, some of the words that some of us are familiar with uh, from a brother named C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I still have copies of that poem if anybody wants one. Uh, but that's what we've been challenging our young people to think about. To think about the life that we have been blessed with and to live it to the fullest. And we find in John chapter 10 a reminder from the Savior, our Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, unique in that reality, his sacrificial, uh, selfless surrender and gift of life, unlike any other bad shepherds that have gone before. Uh, and the, this famous passage talks about uh, the Lord Jesus making his statement, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Young people, I want you to be reminded, and all who have gathered this morning, there's all kinds of bad shepherds. There's all kinds of influences, the world, the flesh, the devil, that would love to have your soul. Do you hear me say that? And many of you young people are playing games with this concept and reality, and you're dabbling in both worlds, and you're being influenced by those who just want to devour you. Bad shepherds. And the Lord Jesus warns us and says in this uh, discourse about the good shepherd that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. I ask those involved in youth ministry to stand, and I ask that we would make a commitment to pray for them as we just did. And would you continue in that commitment of prayer for those who are investing in young people? 
Our desperate and deep desire for you, young people, is that you would pick up the clue phone and realize that fulfilling life, a meaning of life uh, that is full of, uh, a life that is full of meaning and purpose, the satisfied life, the abundant life is found only in and through Christ alone. Every other source that you're tapping into and tuning into just wants to wreck you. Please know and understand that. And so we're desperate, desperate for you to see and to realize that the good shepherd, what's so good about him? He lays down his life for the sheep. He knows and he cares and he wants you to have life abundant, life eternal, but life right now that is abundant and full. And so it breaks our hearts, it hurts us, it makes us sad as it does the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they are all emotional beings when they see you pursuing the stuff that doesn't satisfy. It wrecks us as we're seeing you get wrecked. It hurts our hearts, so would you please be reminded that the one life to live is the life that is found in and through the Lord Jesus. And moms and dads, adult community, that's where we started. We started in John 10 to establish the fact that the one who gives a full life, the one who gives an abundant life, is the one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. That life is found in him and him alone. And so we wanted our young people to think about that. You want, you want the good life? You want a full life? You want a rich life? You want an abundant life? It's only found in and through Jesus Christ. Everything else fails and pales in comparison. So young people whom we love, we love you. What in the world are you doing playing with the stuff that's going to hurt and kill and steal and destroy? Why not turn to and surrender to the one who loves you and gave his life for you that you might have life abundant? We started looking at life, life that is offer abundant in the Lord Jesus Christ, life that is eternal, that is found in him alone. But we also thought about the reality of Hebrews chapter 9, and feel free to turn there with me as well. Hebrews chapter 9, that this is the reality that we, uh, we are all going to die. Unless the rapture occurs. Anybody for that? How about today, sports fans? How about today? Hebrews chapter 9, if you will. Hebrews chapter 9. As my pages stick together, you know the passage, 927. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then what? And then the judgment. And that's a reality for believers and unbelievers. The judgment, that's a reality for an unbeliever, is a terribly horrific scene. Described most uh, uh, clearly in Revelation chapter 20, a judgment known as the great white throne. If you never trust in Christ, whether you admit it or not, realize it or not, or not, you're going to experience that judgment at the great white throne. For a believer, there's a judgment, an evaluation that is yours as well, different than the great white throne, completely different throne, 
uh, a throne called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And your life is going to be evaluated from the moment you trust in Christ to the moment you stand before him. Your life will be evaluated. Your stewardship, how you have taken care of what he has given to you, will be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. And so I wanted to talk to the young people about death and how are you going to deal with death? Because it's a reality. I made this statement. I'll remind everyone of it even now. For a believer, someone who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your reality. You're born twice, your birthday and when you were born again, and you die once at most. For someone who never trusts in Christ, the reality is this. You are born once and you die twice. Double death, the second death, which is the conclusion of the great white throne where you are cast into a place of eternal torment because you did not trust in the one who paid the penalty for your sins, so you have to pay. Why would you choose that? What are you waiting for? And so we looked at 2 Timothy. I invite you to turn there with me now. So John 10, we looked at 10. Hebrews 9, 27, we looked at together as well in 2 Timothy. And I wanted everybody to see clearly in just one succinct passage, the grand and glorious gospel. How are you going to deal with death? How are you going to deal with death? The reality is it's been dealt with once and for all through the person of the Lord Jesus. And so I think it was Saturday morning that we looked at this passage together to remind everybody of the simple yet significant gospel message. Paul reminds Timothy, his son in the faith, as he's dying, Paul knows he's dying, and he knows that Timothy already knows the gospel, but he knows the reality of the importance of being reminded of it reminded of it. I want to ask you this. Has the gospel message become so familiar and so stale that you are dry-eyed when you consider it? It should still stir us. It should still move us. And we need to be reminded of it. So let me just read you the words. Paul has two decisions for Timothy to make anew and afresh. And really, these decisions are part of revival. If you want to know the, the, the truth of the matter, Paul says to Timothy, here's what I have for you. In light of everything you've been given, in light of all your blessings, in light of chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 6, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Make two decisions. Here we are. Therefore, it says, what is the therefore, therefore? In light of the first six verses, in light of all that you have and all that you are, here's two things I want to lay out before you, Paul says to Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Number one, young people, listen. We want you now. Don't wait. Don't wait. We want you now to make a decision, and the decision is to say, I will not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed of his testimony or anybody else who is fully surrendered to him. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, and don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed. So I want to encourage you, young people, make a decision even now, this Sunday morning, to not be ashamed. That's the first challenge for Timothy from Paul in verse 8. Here's the second one. But join with me in suffering. Let's go. 
Be willing to say, whenever, wherever, whatever, I am all in. I will be what you want me to be, and I will do what you want me to do. A full-on surrender. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed, but let's go. Join in suffering with me according to the power of the, according to the gospel, uh, the power of God. Look at the end of verse 8. Are you with me? doesn't matter what I say. What matters is what the word of God says. So look at it. It won't hurt you. You've got enough energy this morning to look at the text, don't you? If you don't, what's wrong with you? Look at the end of verse 8. It says this. For the gospel, according to the power of God. And so in 9 and 10, we reminded your young people, our young people, of that gospel. What is the gospel? How does Paul describe it here? The gospel always incorporates the reality of the fact that Christ died for you and rose again. That's the heartbeat of the gospel. And here, Paul tells Timothy a little bit more about that gospel, but the heart still is that Christ died for you and rose again. And so notice how he describes what God has done. He has saved us. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be rescued and delivered from what owned us and what we were enslaved to. And he has saved us, rescued and delivered us from something, sin, to something, a holy and righteous calling. Not according to what we do, not according to our works, but according to to his grace, according to his plan, according to his granting. God has had a plan for salvation that's been in place before eternity passed. And he says, you want to know the reality of it? That plan came together. Some of us remember and some of us appreciate the phrase, I love it when a plan comes together. And God's plan of salvation came together when Christ showed up. His first advent, his appearing, when he appeared for the purpose of dying, being buried and rising again, God's plan of salvation came together. And what happened as a result? What happened? I'm asking you, what happened as a result when the Lord Jesus Christ came? What did his death, burial, and resurrection accomplish? It says it in the end of this section. Death was abolished. It was destroyed. The reality of death. Death is uh, the outcome of sin. When somebody dies, ultimately it's because of sin. Death is the result, and not just physical death, but spiritual death, complete separation from God forever is a result of our sin. And so if you're someone here today that's never trusted in Christ, recognize, realize that you are a sinner and what you deserve, what I deserve, what we all deserve because of our sin is death. Complete separation from God forever. That would be just. That would be righteous. That would be fair. I deserve that and so do you. But we love the reality of grace and mercy And that God's plan of salvation that came together in the person of his son, when he died, when he was buried, when he arose arose again, death was abolished. And what was brought? Look at it. Look at it with me. Are you there? The end of the verse. Verse 10. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We can have, (laughs) I can't even believe this. 
You know, I can't see the clock on the screen, which I love. You might not, but I love that. I can see the other clocks and no worries, right? I can't get over the fact that we have offered to us for free as a gift eternal life. Eternal life. Life and immortality has been brought to life through the gospel. So we wanted your young people to see and to think about and realize the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one who offers abundant life. There is this issue of death. Everybody's going to die, and that's a reality of sin. But the gospel is, is great and glorious news. And so we reviewed the gospel, who Christ is and what he has done, and what his death provided, life in immortality. And then we began looking at, last night, Romans chapter 6. I invite you to turn there. We can't even smell lunch yet. Everybody's okay. Romans chapter 6, turn there with me. And I want to throw down a challenge. Tony, Tony, Tony brought the challenge already. Appreciate Tony and Charity and all they do for this event. Here's the challenge. Youth leaders that were standing before, uh, I'm throwing it down for you. Pick it up if you want or not, but here's the challenge for all of us. Own this passage. What passage? Thanks for asking. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. Here's what I want all of us to commit to doing. I don't care how long it takes, but together let's memorize these 14 verses. You can do it. Think about how much time. Do you get notifications on your phone? How much time you spend doing what and so forth? Do you ever feel convicted on that? You should, for goodness sake. It wouldn't take us that long to memorize 14 verses, right? And so I want to encourage you to own this passage. Youth leaders, challenge your young people to memorize this and watch this. Don't miss it. You memorize it in front of them. Own it with them. Because here's what I want you to know and see and understand. Listen, these 14 verses explain to us, to us how we can do the Christian life. Some of the guys referenced that in the breaking of bread today. I asked them this question, what's your plan? What's your plan? How are you going to do the dash? That little dash between the moment you trust in Christ to the moment you stand before him. That concept, your birth date, if you will, and the time that you die, that dash, that little dash in between. How are you going to do the dash? And you need to know and understand that Romans chapter 6 explains how to do the dash. In a nutshell, it gives us three words, three words that summarize how we can live victorious Christian lives. I said last night, and you've forgotten, so I'll say it again, that most of us do not experience living a victorious Christian life. That should convict you. We go through the motions. We settle for lukewarm living. Instead of embracing the reality of what the victorious Christian life can and should look like. Do you understand this, believer? Do you understand this? That each and every day, it should be that we are more and more like Christ and less and less like this world. Every day, it should be that the process of sanctification is on us and we are becoming more and more like him. That means that we should sin less and less until we are transformed gloriously. This passage tells us how that can happen. 
This passage tells us what we need to remember and think and do in order to live the victorious Christian life. Excuse me for taking a sip. Very much better. Thank you. Three words. You ready for them? We started last night. I'm going to remind you of these, and we're going to finish soon. The first word is the word no. Can you say it with me? K-N-O-W? No. It's there three times. It's there in three. It's there in six. It's there in nine and ten and following. Three times. You know what Paul says? He reminds the believer. He's writing to believers, and he said, would you just stop it? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid it. Meganoita, may it never be. Stop taking grace and abusing it, he says, and remember who you are in Christ. I said to the young people last night and those who were gathered, we have to think right in order to live right. It's not the flip side of that. That's what this world is doing. That's what social media is all about for the most part. We have to think right and biblically and theologically in order for us to live right. And so Paul says, I want to teach you how to think. And he begins with the word no. It's one of our motions. We'll get there. He begins with the word no, talking all about intellectual, cognitive, informational truth. I love the fact that there's a baptism uh, next week here at, at Bethany. I was sitting there thinking, I might try to come. I mean, I love baptisms. What a cool and, and, and marvelous thing. What a wonderful thing to celebrate, don't you think? To celebrate a decision where a young man, a young woman, a person, you don't have to be young, whatever, but you're supposed to be baptized. If you're a believer, let me just say to you, baptism is one of the ordinances. It's an ordinance. I said that that way on purpose. We're commanded to do it. And so if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe you were baptized as an infant, let me just tell you something. That doesn't count. Baptism is a command for all believers, and why are we supposed to do it? What does baptism declare? What does it evidence? What does it show? It's a believer saying to anybody and everybody that gathers together to witness and to watch, it's a confession of faith where they're saying, I want you to know, I want you to know something. Ten years ago, two years ago, I don't know how many years ago, but years ago or time, sometime not long ago, I trusted in Christ. I, I recognize I'm a sinner and what I deserve because of my sin, death. But I also recognize and understood that Christ died for me and I could be saved through and by faith. And so I did that. And I just want you to know, I want to publicly testify and acknowledge that. So I want to tell everybody, I'm saved. That's what baptism is. It's a public de declaration it's someone saying, I belong to the Lord Jesus, but not only that I belong to him, that I am saved, but I want everybody that's watching and witnessing, I want you to know that I want to follow him the rest of my time on the planet. It's a declaration that I'm saved, but it's also a declaration that I want to follow him the rest of my time on the planet. And it's also a, a cry for help. A cry for help that says to everybody watching, would you mind praying for me? 
Would you mind praying for me and helping me and encouraging me along the way as I want to follow him? With all my heart, with all my soul, and all my strength, I'm telling you that. And this is a wonderful object lesson picture of that. And so I want you to help me and pray for me. That's what baptism is. And so if you know Christ as your Savior and you haven't been baptized, talk to your leader. Hello, your youth leader. Talk to an elder. Those words are all in my mind at the same time. And, And obey for crying out loud. What's stopping you? Tell somebody what's stopping you. Here's why I'm not getting baptized. You know what it'll be? A poor excuse. So come on, clue phone's ringing. There should be more getting baptized next week having just said that uh, than are lined up right now. Smell what I'm cooking? It's true. Here's what happens in the first section of Romans chapter six. I'm talking about baptism on purpose because this is a passage that describes spirit baptism. Don't get all confused by that reality. It's just what happens the moment someone trusts in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which we won't look at today for the sake of time, but it's a great summary of Romans 6, 1 through 14. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So understand that spirit baptism, which is the primary understanding of this passage, Romans uh, Romans 6, 1 through 14, uh, is describing what happened to a believer, what happens to a believer the moment you trust, the moment you place faith in Christ, this is what occurs. You are identified with, through the spirit, united with, through the spirit, co-crucified because of the Spirit with Christ. So when he died, guess who else died? You died. When he was buried, guess who else was buried? You were buried spiritually. When he arose, guess who else arose? To a new life in Christ. And so listen to me. If you're a saved person here today, Remember the words of my professor, Bill Lawrence, from back in the day. I shared this last night. We shouldn't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. There was a word that we saw last night in this passage that the old man or the old self was what? Crucified. It's gone. It's done. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, if any man, any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. The moment we trust in Christ and we are united with him in person through the spirit, we pass from death to life right then and there. Done deal. And so the moment that occurs, guess what is true for a believer? And this is what Paul is trying to say. In 1 through 9, 1 through 10, he's saying, listen, because of your identity in Christ, because of being united in the person of Christ, co-crucified with him, guess what is true in regards to a believer and sin? You are dead to it. It no longer has mastery over you. The reality is this, hear me when I say this. 
If you are genuinely a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done in spirit baptism that is described here, which is pictured in water baptism, testifying of what already occurred, the truth is for a believer, you never have to sin again. Do you believe that? Any other perspective would cheapen the finished work of Christ. He paid for all of our sin. And when we trust in Christ and trust in Christ alone, we are absolutely set free from sin. We're dead to it and alive to God. But you know what we love to do? We love to come up with some kind of excuse. You want to know why? We like sin. We know, as Moses uh, declared in the Hall of Faith, it said of Moses, that he, he enjoyed for some 40 years the passing pleasure of sin. So we make all kinds of excuses to justify our sin. We take grace and we twist it and abuse it to allow us, give us license to sin. We need to choose a better way and we need to think more correctly and that is to understand who we are in Christ and that we do not have to sin ever again. Look at the passage with me. The passage that you're gonna memorize by the end of the day. Let me, let me just read what I've just recapped for you so you see it from the text. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? How about just yelling out a meganoita with me there, would you? Three, two, one. Meganoita! That's it. May it never be. <laughs> How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know? There's the first nor. No. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his what? What does it say? Death. Thanks for following. Therefore, in light of that reality, we have been buried with him through what? Baptism into death. Spirit baptism. In order that what? In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, and he does the work. Don't you love that? So we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united, and there's that word that helps us understand how this works through the Spirit, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his what? Death, thanks for coming. Certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Dead to sin, that's represented by going under the water, alive to God through Christ, new life in Christ. For if we become united with him, verse 5, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, there's the word no, did you see that? Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is what? Freed from sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You're freed from it. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Look at verse 9. Circle the word again. There it is. Got to think right to live right. Knowing, knowing, knowing. We've got to know who we are in Christ. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
verse 11, we find this next word. I told you I was going to give you three words. They're coming eventually. Here's the second one. The second one. What was the first one? I forget. You tell me. No, three times. It's in there. Prego, right? No. And then the second word that we need to recall and remember to get this passage in, in its entirety is the word consider. Some of you have translations that uh, are either New King James or King James, and your translation says reckon, doesn't it? I love that. Maybe it doesn't, but some translations say that. We need to reckon it to be true or consider it to be true. No, the first word deals with the intellectual. The second word, consider or reckon, deals with the emotional or personal. It's the reality that a believer says of themselves, you know what, this is true of me. It's not just theological, it's not just biblically true, it is personally, emotionally true of me. And so I will consider, the word consider or reckon is a mathematical term. It's a mathematical term that says, take all the facts, add them up, and come to a conclusion that is true based upon those facts. And personally, emotionally, own that one of yourself. And so Paul is saying, I've told you the facts, know this, know this, know this, but you need to own it personally. It's true of you. And so he says in verse 10, Excuse me, he says in verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon it to be true. Reckon it to be true. Reckon it to be true. Consider it to be true. Consider it to be true. Consider it to be true. So every time that you're faced with temptation, remember that you can say to temptation, I am dead to sin. I reckon it to be true. I remember when I, I was teaching at Emmaus, a student had a shirt on that was in the shape of a, a stop sign, uh, and, it, and it said the word halt, halt. And the idea behind that stop sign that said the word halt was to remind a believer to be on guard in regards to temptation. And so the letter H represents hungry. The letter A represents angry. The letter L represents lonely. The letter T represents tired. And it's in those circumstances that we tend to yield or give in to temptation and forget that we are dead to sin and alive to God. Some of you have heard the version of salt. Sad, angry, lonely, tired. It's those times where we play mental games with sin and we say, ah, why not? Everybody else is. I just have to click or, or uh, whatever the case might be. Salt, halt, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. I know it's time for lunch. I know people are stirring. You're gonna make it through this tough time. The last word is the word present. It all boils down to presentation. Some in the business world understand that. It's all about presentation, right? The last word is present. He says in verse 11 and following, verse 12 and following, he says, therefore, this is strong, so I'm about to raise what little voice I have. I just wanted to warn you in, in advance. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. 
Do you understand? That's what we do. We allow sin. We give sin permission. Levi, it's true, isn't it, my brother? We give sin permission. We say to sin, here I am. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you have your way. I'm not going to salt. I'm not going to halt. Rather, I'm just going to say yes. We let sin rule. As a believer, every time we sin, it's because we choose to. Hear me say that to you. And so you know what he says in verse 12? Stop it! That's what he says. He says, stop it. Don't let sin have its way. It doesn't have any rights on you. It doesn't have any power over you. You're dead to it, sports fans. So stop allowing it in. That's a choice every time. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Instead, it says this, or it continues and says this in verse 13, and do not go on presenting the members of your body, that's the means by which sin is, is accomplished, the members of your body as, uh, to sin rather, as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, a one-time decision or over and over again as necessary, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and the members and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I'm closing, and so we have to hurry up a little bit, but understand this is large. Do you hear me? There's two options here for a believer in regards to presentation. We can either come up to sin, come up to sin and say, hello, I'm dead to you, you're dead. Remember that illustration last night? Crazy. I'm dead to you, but I'm gonna just say, uh, here I am. I'm gonna let you have your way in my mind. I'm gonna present my body to you, sin. It's ridiculous, it makes no sense, but here I am, dead to you, but I'm saying to you, go ahead. Every time we click, every time we look, every time we hear, every time we say, every time we do, in regards to sin and any of it, we are giving sin permission to use our bodies, our minds, our bodies as instruments of what? Unrighteousness, instead of coming to righteousness and ultimately to God and saying, you know what, here I am. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm a living sacrifice and I wanna present myself to you and I want you in and through me to produce righteousness. It's all about the presentation, right? And so I'm asking you this question. On the regular, on the daily, on the moment by moment, who are you presenting yourself to? You got two options, believers. It's either to sin or it's to God. Sin resulting in unrighteousness or to God resulting in righteousness. It's all about the presentation. And you know what revival will look like? When we say to God, here I am. I'm gonna to start today saying it, and I'm gonna say it all throughout the day, and I'm gonna present myself to you, God, and with your help and with your, saint, your strength, I'm not gonna present myself to sin. It's all about the presentation. Our time is gone, and I hate that. I count this an honor and a privilege to be with you. I'm gonna postpone the momos. You're gonna make it through this tough time. You're gonna make it through this tough time. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to invite you to stand quietly. Please do so. Please stand, if you don't mind. We'll make them quick. Don't be ashamed. If you don't know them, that's okay. Just pretend. 
Here's the last one. I'm going to give it to you quickly, right? It's all about Galatians 2.20. It says, it says this, the life that I now live in the flesh, that's not the bad flesh, I live by faith, by faith. It's all about trust. It's all about faith. And so here's what we're going to do. You know that trust falls, which are ridiculous. They don't really work. It's mental games. I'm kidding you about that. Uh, but you're supposed to do this with, when you trust and fall backwards, but we're not because that could be trouble. So we're going to simply say trust like this, but sincerely we're going to say trust, and then we're going to bow uh, quietly and say and obey. Smell what I'm cooking? So the last momo is this, trust and obey. Okay, let's do them all together. I don't remember them, so help me. Three, two, one. One life to live. Let's go. Death abolished, life eternal. No, consider hmm, present. Trust and obey. Wait for it. Here's a little extra. And do the dash. There it is. That was for free. <laughs> do the dash. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thanks for the great meal. Thanks for keeping it warm. Father, thanks for the people who serve and give. Thanks for Tony, the announcements, the prizes, all that will come uh, now. We thank you for the flexibility of time and being gracious with one another. In light of that, Father, help us to remember that there is an abundant life to live, one life to live. May we remember that death has been abolished and life and immortality has been brought to light through the gospel. So help us to know, help us to consider, and help us to present May we understand that it boils down to and it is all about trust and obey. And so help us, Father, to do the dash, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.